0: and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started.
1: Welcome, everybody, once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host. And I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. We're coming to you from my elaborate studio, which consists of my laptop and my headset, and our high tech studio out here in the nature of my sumptuous balcony here in Las Vegas, Nevada, the hottest city in the world. And when we explore with you on these episodes, we take you to those places where my laptop lifestyle drives us, and you discover some of those most important mastermind moments. That give you those aha moments, those slight edges, those unexpected inspirations that move you closer to your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and give you more that enables you to be of service to your community, market, and audience and make the world a better place by being in it. And if that sounds like a grand plan, wait till you see what we have in store for you today. As an entrepreneur, as entrepreneurs in general, fitness is an issue. I'm talking physical fitness. I'm talking mental fitness. And I'm speaking of everything that fuels us to keep going. My own biggest issue is I'm sometimes too sedentary. And just the simple moves I've made recently of little things to increase my physical activity, the fact that they've had such a huge impact on my physical composition and my mental acuity, demonstrate how powerful this stuff is and it's stuff I already knew and just had to put back into practice. We have with us today somebody who's going to share with us on some of this stuff, the mental fitness, the physical fitness, and we're going to get to explore a bit about his own journey in the personal training industry. His name is Pete Piranio. I wanted to have him here on the show for a while. I'm so happy that our schedules finally coincided so we could make it happen. Let me just tell you a little bit about him. Pete is an entrepreneur who built a multi million dollar personal training business, complete with five locations and 12 franchise partners. He's helped a franchise to grow from 10 to 400 locations, and he works with professional athletes who are launching their own brands and franchises. Currently, Pete finds himself on a mission to assist other fitness business owners and entrepreneurs in general to start, grow, and scale successful businesses. Pete helps fitness entrepreneurs grow their empire with the fitness business operating system, an operating system designed specifically to assist fitness business owners. Now, pause. If you're tuning in and you yourself are not necessarily in the fitness business, that's actually all the more reason to be here. We often make our most profound discoveries when we look the places that other places aren't looking, when we discover learning some other industries that our competition is not even paying attention to. I myself, I like to tell the story that when I first acquired my skills to design websites when I was a nascent entrepreneur and had to do them all for myself. And there was no WordPress. There were no content management systems. There were no themes. It was all about coding in HTML. This was even before mobile. This is before Internet Explorer 6. I think uh, I think AltaVista was still a search engine when I got started with this stuff. And I like to tell people that I discovered... My initial learnings, not only in the technical coding of web design, but also in the aesthetic applications of the visual design that attracts people from all those porn sites I used to look at when I was about 23 years old. I was looking somewhere where others weren't. I was looking at an industry that is based on. Visual attraction, and I was also looking at an industry that was based on simplicity. So, looking at the source code, I learned what H one, H two, H three, and um, and divs, and and all that other stuff was all about. Thank God for WordPress; we don't have to deal with that crap anymore. We can just we can just set up a theme and use widgets. That's awesome. But I want to make the point just very quickly before I introduce Pete to reinforce why it's so important to look at niches. Because the riches are there, not only in terms of serving them, but learning from them. All right, enough about me. Let's more learn more about me, and let's bring on Pete Piranio. Come on in. The weather's fine.
2: <laughs> hey Adam, I appreciate you. What 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 an intro there. Uh, as, appreciate you having me.
1: As you can tell, we're a little what some people call offbeat, and we're what some people call innovative. So let's see what happens here before I'll we like, dive in. I
2: like the innovative part of that, but you know, right. I, I couldn't. <laughs> You know, I couldn't agree with you more though on looking outside the industry. I mean, just real quick, I mean, that's, I will say that was probably the number one thing that allowed me to have the success that I had in my old business before, um, because I looked outside the fitness industry because I felt like the industry was a mess and that's where so I really learned, learned about, about business and systems. systems. And, and uh, I mean, I look to your G's of the world and, and all of that stuff. And so um, I think that's a critical thing. I think you get more aha moments, as you mentioned, when you actually look outside. So I think that was a great point. you made.
1: Okay. So uh, what we want to do here, and you're absolutely right, is before we dive in, and I know you have a lot of things you want to share with us today. We had a nice little green room chat there where you gave me some teasers, and I really loved them. Uh Tell us a bit beyond your bio, which is so impressive, by the way. I'm not sure if I'm worthy to be here, and it's my show. It's my show. Tell us a bit about something that inspired or whatever has driven you to bring you to where you are today, from, in your own words, starting from your intersection of and your passion.
2: Yeah, I think to me, the, the vehicle of entrepreneurship is, allows you to have an impact in your community, your country, um, You know, lifting people up. That are struggling and so to me um you know it's having uh, as we say now transforming lives by transforming fitness entrepreneurship so i think that 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 purpose has really always uh, driven me um to use this vehicle i've i i consider it a, you know a gift from man above to be a, you know mm-hmm. to be able to uh really be inspired and and you know, I've always loved entrepreneurship. And so to me, that's that's what just really drives me is to be able to to build things, to, to give opportunities, growth opportunities for others and, and try to have an impact.
1: Okay. So for our listeners, and I love that by the way, for our listeners, this may feel like it jumps around a little bit, but as I mentioned in the intro, we're going to cover a few different areas. So just put on your seatbelt and hang out with us and know that by relaxing yourself. Hearing our voices, picturing yourself being at the table with us, sitting in on a private mastermind conversation, your aha moment is here. We just don't know exactly which aha moment it's going to be. So, Pete gave me several different areas he wants to cover, and we're going to move kind of fast because there's a lot of things we want to get done in the next 45 minutes or so. And uh, some of this stuff is going to be about the fitness industry, and some of it's going to be about you as an entrepreneur. So, let's Start with something that everybody that I know struggles with, no matter how leveraged they claim to be. You always hear you should work on the business, not in it. But how do you systematically remove yourself from daily operations? I can imagine how this could have been a challenge for you because I've worked with personal trainers and there's a big jump from actually being up there on the gym floor, helping them do their exercises to being at the head of a business empire.
2: Yeah. I mean, that was, that was the first, uh, I remember when I started I opened my first studio when I was 27 in 2001. And, um, and I was your classic technician, personal trainer in the trenches, training clients, you know, all day. And, and, um, luckily I've, you know, had some early growth in terms. I, I didn't have too much of an issue attracting clients and that sort of thing. And so my real bottleneck though was, man, I felt like I had other, my other trainers, my team, I felt like turnover every six to 12 months. I mean, it was just nonstop. So it was, so that was always put, you know, besides training clients, dealing with hiring, recruiting and and training new trainers and constantly doing that and pouring your knowledge into them as fast as you can. So they could do a good job with your clients. And it was just, I was really approaching that, that stage of burnout. I mean, it was my, I was working 5am, 9pm a night every weekend for a couple of years. And I just, you know, finally it was like, Hey, this, this is not sustainable, <laughs> um, you know, for the long haul to, to, to keep this up. And if I don't fix these people problems, then it's definitely not sustainable, especially in a business that the people are the product. Right. Yes. So, so um, that's really when a mentor of mine actually recommended the the book, the e-myth by Michael Gerber, like you said, the whole, you know, he's the one that really coined that phrase work on not in and and I just had my aha, aha moment came from that, where it was, um, you know, he talked about building your franchise prototype and whether you want to franchise or not. And so thinking about the business as kind of a machine, if you will, of integrated systems. And um, you know, the other thing that really had the biggest aha moment for me was um, to build a business that's systems dependent, not people dependent. And when I heard that, I was like, Whoa. And so then I just, Really started that process of duplicating myself, right? So it was everything from how do I design programs for clients? How do I, you know, train the actual sessions? You know, so getting into everything that an actual personal trainer did, which, you know, to say that you could systematize personal training is almost sacrilegious in the field, you know? <laughs> yeah. and, and I said, you know what, you can still systematize and personalize though, right? So you got your frameworks and everything. And so um, I literally thought about everything that I did that allowed me to have success to that point and documented it. <laughs> and, um, you know, then, then was able to you know, bring in um, trainers that I was able to train them on that system. And the key about that was, you know, once I created a a system for what I did, and then I was going to plug somebody into it was allowed me then to actually hire fairly inexperienced trainers, right? Because I could plug them into the system and take an inexperienced trainer and make them better than most experienced trainers. And so um, that was really, you know, the process. So I think for people, you know, kind of in that you gotta, you gotta stop and think about the things you're doing. You have to systematically think about like, how am I going to duplicate myself? Like, what are those things that I need to, you know, take off of my plate and what are, what are, what am I best at doing? And I have to, to focus, you know, I'm focused, my energies there. So if I'm best at sales and marketing and then, you know, and you're doing a bunch of other stuff, then guess what? You know, you need to start to look at those systems creating those systems. And then, you know, nowadays too, you can, the ability to outsource virtual talent and all that, it's easier yeah. than ever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I could kind of go on and on there, but that was really the start. I mean, then that's kind of, um, you know, I, the whole, cause you're right. I mean, the, the same work on nodding gets used very, very loosely, but I, um, you really have to think about that franchise prototype again, rather, you, whether you want a franchise or not. I mean, that's what, Ray Kroc did, the original guy that really created the franchise revolution with uh, with McDonald's is um, you know doing that. And it can happen in any industry.
1: Yeah, uh, I, have a, I have a little bit of a story of my own here. But in order to be able to tell it properly, the first thing I want to do is I want to go through two other points here. First of all, in your experience, what are some of the mental blocks that keep business owners stuck in the trenches? I could go on about this for a day, but I just want to hear what you have to say.
2: Well, number one, they make themselves um, a part of the business as a part, as opposed as, to, as opposed to apart from the business, right? So uh-huh. their their identity is so you know it, again in the personal training world, particularly the clients we work with, I mean, they are the trainer, right? So the, it's very hard for them to imagine like clients being happy without them training them. And I can remember going through that head trash too, like oh my gosh, they're gonna just be so upset and you know when I eventually when I did it they weren't at all really I mean and again as long as you provide them a good product but I think that's the biggest one is identity is what they're doing um, and that really keeps them you know locked into the, the technical aspects of the thing um, I would say number two is again not just not having that vision of the business being the product itself right so as opposed to, you know, so the the personal training studio again to use our my my industry's example, that that entire package, that entire box, everything in it is is the product, all aspects of it, not the actual service itself, just itself, which is what most of us deliver, right? So if I'm a plumber, I'm a dentist, I'm a whatever, that you know their identity is tied into that, but they're not looking at and they the entire business as the product; they're only looking at the technical thing they do. So you have to kind of extract yourself. Those are, to me are two of the biggest. You're right. We could go on and on about this, but I would say those are the two that come to mind first.
1: And then the other thing I want to bring up is, um, you know, you mentioned the E-myth. So let's speak about myths for a little bit longer here. Um, What are some of the myths that surround systematizing your business and building a self-managed business? And by self-managed, I just want to make sure I understand our terms correctly. A business that could run itself if uh, Pete Peronio decided to run off to Guatemala for six months without his cell phone. (laughs)
2: Yeah, No, that's, well, that's, that's exactly. Sometimes people, they think their business is, is working without them. But uh, as I say, if you can't step away for a a month and it's still paying you, then, then it's definitely not the case. So, um, well, one of the biggest is often, you know, that we hear is, um, you know, the employees, all my employees won't follow the systems, right? So that's like one of the, the biggest right there is they think that, okay, I could get, get these systems, but they're not going to follow them. And it's actually the furthest thing from the truth, because the reality is, is in my experience, most people have, frankly, a lot of employee turnover and issues because they're not providing enough management and leadership Um structure they're not plant, sit, they're not creating enough expectations and standards you know it's it, they abdicate right so they hire somebody and hope that okay now they hired somebody cool I can finally get rid of that stuff right <laughs> so it's and most of the time you know the employee is uh, not happy with that that idea right so it's like hey I need to at least know what your expectations and standards are and that's really yeah. s- systems are really. To me, it's kind of the perfect form of delegation. It makes delegation easy. So people that struggle with delegation, for instance, having a system is just you're you're uh, in advance putting down. You know whether it's document today software. Uh, that's what we use with our clients. Is it's oh, plug yeah. and pl- plug and play software that has the system in it. Um, you know, it's really delegating those things in advance. So um, that I think that's that's a huge you know myth in itself. Is is it's probably number one. Um, uh, is the employee side of things. Um, the other thing is it's too hard, right? So a lot of times, oh man, it's just too hard. I don't have time to put, you know, systems in the place. Um, that's just not the reality either, because uh, it, you know you can often, first of all, recruit your employees to be a part of. That if you have current employees, right? So just having, if you have a system strategy and set literally goals around what percentage we're going to systematize this this month, this quarter get your employees involved in that, especially, um, you know, if, if some of them are delivering on this and you don't know what the heck they're doing. So there's multiple strategies that, that make it um, time efficient. So it's it's not that it's, it's uh, too hard to do. In addition to looking at best practices and um, sometimes, you know, making those investments, like that's one of the things that, you know, we provide best for our, our clients is you're getting done for you plug and play systems, right? So there's yeah. You look hard enough in your industry, they're out there, and then you can customize them. So that can accelerate your process. Um, So I think those are really two two of the biggest for sure is the employee side of things. And it's just simply, they think it's too hard.
1: Okay. Um, As you were saying all that stuff uh, over the past few minutes, I took several little notes here uh, that come back to what I wanted to contribute. Uh, First of all, I'm reminded of, I think this is about maybe 15 years ago or so, Uh, back when I lived in Pittsburgh, my accountant moved, like he went and bought a new house. And I went over one day to help him uh, unpack some of his stuff. At the same time I was there, he had somebody who had come in, he had hired to come in and clean the whole place one time. And so I got into a conversation with the guy he'd hired to clean the place and uh, he, oh, he had the guy has a van out in front that had the name of his company on it. And he was, I figured out very quickly, chief chief cook and bottle watcher. Uh, now, me being a relatively new entrepreneur at the time, I was uh, in hot shot mode uh, trying to explain to him leverage and teams and everything else. And he said, oh, no, I, don't, I don't want any of that. I just want to do it myself. And uh, and I realized, OK, I'm not going to help to convert this guy at all. And I realized looking back now with all the additional experience that there was no need for me to, for two reasons. Number one, it's just something he had to discover on his own. And number two, what if he just didn't want to get that big? You know, not everybody is designed to sit on top of an empire. And I guess there are some people that just really want to do it for the sake of doing it. And if they understand that without themselves, there's no business, maybe they're Maybe they already have all the money they feel they need, and they just want to keep busy, and they don't want to deal with a lot of organizational logistical hassles. They just want to get gigs and go out and do them. Well, for some people, that's fine. But for other people, they may be able to want to take off for Guatemala for six months without their cell phone. It just all depends. I have a colleague uh, in business who I've known for a long time, and she told me a story about joining a mastermind group and her reason for joining the mastermind group is she's a, she's a coach, uh, a business coach, and she wanted to do some things to optimize her business. So she barely got through the question that she shared on the first meeting of the group. And they immediately pounced on her saying, Oh, well, what you got to do is you have to add a zero to your current rate. Uh, You yourself only work with two clients and you hire a bunch of other coaches to work with everybody else. And that completely alienated her. Yeah, What she really wanted to do was raise her rates for her individual coaching. That's what she wanted. She wasn't interested in building a bunch of mini-me's, and she wasn't looking to appeal to a market where you'd be assigned one of their 25 trained coaches. And besides, she already had multiple streams of income. She had leverage businesses that didn't require her presence in them. She was there specifically to optimize the coaching business and to get some insights from being in the mastermind that could make her a better coach. So it's a matter of sometimes we have these formulated answers that we give without looking at the individual situation. I bring that up because I heard, Pete, your own discoveries and how it was a very unique journey for you. Now, here's the third thing. I used to own a web development firm that I shut down in the year 2011. I bring that up on a lot of episodes because I learned so much uh, by jumping in the trenches without knowing a damn thing and doing something because it was something I could easily make money doing without even knowing if that was going to be my brilliance and passion or not. And it wasn't. Uh, So I... Did the whole build a team thing? I brought in project managers, designers, VAs, all this other stuff. And when I got to the point where the firm had sixty clients, I couldn't handle sixty clients. So I assigned. So I assigned all the clients a project manager, and uh, and then we had all the other people. Well, I had to deal with these situations where clients insisted on working only with me to the point where they would take emails that their project manager had sent them, forward them to me and attempt to have the conversation with me. And those clients ultimately ended up firing themselves. And that's a different story. I'm not going to take up on it. So now let's go to point number four is my podcast reach system, which is a process that we have where it's mostly done for you with some done with you components where we help small businesses and entrepreneurs launch their podcasts as their networking client attraction and celebrity expert branding tool. I started this venture when the bug first hit a couple of years ago when, Bert, when in-person stages disappeared and all of a sudden everybody wanted a podcast. It was a big market there. I've, I've launched podcasts before. I did some with some of my consulting clients and there was this one example of one we had launched the year before. It's the Write Your Book in a Flash with Top Business Leaders podcast with Dan Janelle. and that was a picture perfect launch and a perfect design for a podcast. It has made Dan, uh, how do I, how do I put, how do I put this gently, a fucking shit ton of money. <laughs> and uh, and uh, what's really cool, what's really great about it is. I had still had my notes, I still had all the emails, and I still had all the innovations that I had discovered while doing while being that particular launch. So I went back, I wrote that all down, I broke it into a step-by-step process, I labeled it the podcast reach system, and I put out there that I was looking to help three entrepreneurs launch your podcast. I was doing a pilot program. I got my three, got them all launched, and... And, and, I, and I'm going and I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not just grazing. This goes back to this, goes back to what we were talking about. Is I is um, I got is I actually learned so much more about leverage by doing it that way. My model for the podcast reach system is actually the um, is actually I think it's called the badass brand formula. It was created by Pia Silva, who was one of our other guests a couple of years ago. And uh, the idea behind it is you essentially create a program that has a a high price point. And it's something that you can do yourself without a large team supporting you. And you systematize it as much as possible. So you have step-by-steps, you have templates, you have swipe files, you have guidebooks and things along those lines. So that even though you have some hands-on with it, you have it in such a way where it is simply tweaking it to the bespoke needs of each individual client, but the process is the same. So what I discovered in terms of building outsource around that is no, I don't want to send this to people who I pay four dollars an hour and then have to correct their work every single time and have them just, you know, just try and follow steps on a bullet point sheet. What I've done with Podcast Reach is I've given the program to three people who wanted to launch podcasts who were of the virtual assistant type because they wanted to launch their own. And I, gave, and I gave it to them on two understandings. Number one, they would master it. Actually, three understandings. Number one, they would master it for themselves. Number two, that when they had other clients who wanted to launch podcasts, they would refer them to me. So I was creating my own referral networks with this. And the third piece is that the podcast reach system is something that if I have a lot of time or I want to, or I just am in a situation financially where I need to keep the money, it's something I can do myself without too much effort. However, if I want to scale it and get a ton of reachers, I have people around me who can jump in at any time and get paid pretty well to help me with pieces of it where I still have a nice profit margin. And it's all work that is systematized and does not require an extremely high-level skill. The end value to the client is that it gets done for them. So what you said about the plug-and-play thing sounds sort of like that. And finally, uh, part of Podcast Reach is we, part of it is once the podcast is set up, we're not we're not a we're not a an editing and distribution agency we focus on the launch piece of it but i do have people that i can refer out when our clients need their episodes edited and published and we also within podcast reach coach them to design it in such a way where they need basically no editing whatsoever that's a whole different conversation this is a type of thing where you can teach your teenage kid how to do it. And it makes a nice part-time job for them. So we give each client a tutorial where we actually film me publishing one of the episodes. And I give them the Camtasia file that's them watching over my shoulder with all the worksheets and everything that comes with it, which I already have templates of. I just customize them for each client. And then part of what I say is, this is how I do it. These are the softwares I use. As you go through this yourself, you may discover innovations that make it even easier for you to do it. You may use different softwares. You may use slightly different processes. What matters is that the end product looks the same. So that to me was has been very interesting because I've actually had some of the other companies that I referred this work out to, and in one case, the person's teenage son come back to me with their questions as they mastered it, and also their own "Aha moments about little discoveries they made of, "Oh, well you well, you taught me how to do it this way, but I figured out how to do it this other way, and it actually works very well for me, And I looked at that and I thought, "Oh, okay actually, I agree with you. I think that's a better way to do it. And I retroactively incorporated in my own, into my own process. So the reason I bring that all, all up, Pete, before we start getting into the um, the health aspect of our conversation is I wanted to um, just delve a little bit deeper into the discoveries and the challenges you had as you pulled yourself out of the business and designed everything you just said. Uh, did any of these types of things happen for you? And in what ways did this actually accentuate and accelerate your process?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know everything is in in stages. So, um, I mean, one of the things that we have in our program is called, we call it the Empirepreneur Ladder, and 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 so you know each entrepreneur goes through their own personal growth stages too, from a self you know self employed to the manager to the business owner to what we call an investor and then the empirepreneur, which is the, for the namesake of our company. And there's different attributes at each one of those levels. Um, but my point is, is like when I first, yes, you know, simple, simply started to duplicate myself, extract myself, every stage has, you know, new new challenges. And, you know, for me then it was like, okay, great. I've replaced myself on the training side, but you know, leadership management, managing people, a whole different story. If that's like you said, if that's the route you're going to go. And then, you know, so I got to be great at, as I like to say, winning the people game. That was, you know, one of the biggest things is um, being able to do that. So an entirely different skill set. So, and to me, that's actually for, for folks that, you know, are looking to, and especially in our industry again, because they are managing people with trainers and, and scaling. Uh, So just, you know, again, depends on, like you said, depending on what you're trying to do from a business standpoint um, that's actually the biggest one. Everybody drives marketing, 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 but without winning the people game, they're dead in the water. And so, um, so that was, you know, that, that took seemed like years of challenges to meet that. But then when I started to get into multiple locations, now it was different. It was, it was just multi-unit management's an entirely different thing in leadership and then leading leaders, right? So now you're, Developing and leading leaders, not just developing the technical person, right? So, if I'm whatever your technical expertise, often that's easier to to teach and train because you maybe did it for years, you're a master at it, right? But then later on, when you're developing leaders that are leading those folks, entirely different skill sets. So, there's just many, many aha moments, I think, as you continue to grow your business. Um, and that's why we have our empire pruner ladder. Cause we want the, our, our clients to intentionally think about those different stages because it would have helped me tremendously. If somebody said to me, Hey Pete, right now you're in the, really in the self-employed kind of stage. This is, you know, really probably the way that you're thinking about things to take that next step. Here's the attributes you're going to need to have. Whoa. Yeah. That would have like, that would open my eyes. And then, Oh, well you're, I can see why you're stuck here. Here's the attributes you're going to need to move to to being a true business owner. And um, and then so that's that was um, there's just several aha moments along that way. So that's really in a sense, we create that path for our clients to be able to see those things. Cause when you can see it, now it's a lot easier to um go pursue it.
1: Absolutely. So I do want to spend a few moments. Uh, since you are a personal trainer and you have perspectives on fitness, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh You know, what what have you discovered when it comes to working with entrepreneurs for whom fitness is a real challenge? And for a lot of us, the idea of working fitness into our routine is very difficult. Uh, Like I'm I'm vegan, for instance. So when I tell people that, they expect me when I show up that I will essentially uh, look like a pretzel stick physically speaking. And I can tell you that's the exact opposite of how I look. Uh, My big issue is uh, I've been sedentary for too long. And although I've made changes to that, it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs deal with. They, Even if they have the time, the efforts and the commitment that comes with being an entrepreneur gets you to the point where you may just ain't got nothing left. So what can entrepreneurs do to start turning that around? Because I know a lot of entrepreneurs who could spend a few more hours on the treadmill to use that colloquial expression.
2: Sure. Well, I think, I mean, for me, it was because again, I'm, I'm, you know, in a sense, long retired from in the trenches from a a training standpoint, uh, but of course it's in my blood and I did it forever. Um, But I went through those different stages where, I mean, because I was a college athlete. So, I mean, I've worked out my whole life. It was just part of it. Right. But then. Um once I was, you know, started building my businesses and like you talked about all the challenges that kind of go with that. Um, it was harder for me. I, you know, I didn't really have a meaning, you know, or I was always I always worked out for a goal, right? So I was an athlete. So there's a there's a point to it. And so I did find it, you know, even somebody that had been doing it their whole life was in the industry, like uh to to find, be motivated to, to do it without having an attached goal or purpose at least attached to it. And so my recommendation people, and, and this is what really revitalized me, got me back on track, um, keeps me on track today is um, to, that you got to do it to optimize your output. If you want to be a successful entrepreneur, you you need to be on your A game, right? You're, you got to be mentally sharp. You got to have the, the energy to be able to execute um, put in the time when you need to put in the time, all of that. And so to me, it's, it's part of um, the must if, if, and so I, I really don't even look at it. It's like some people work out from a more vanity and standpoint or whatever else to me, it's, it's being able to optimize myself. So I can be at the top of my game when it comes to running my businesses and, in you know, most entrepreneurs that is their main purpose vision, right? That's what really gets them up every morning and gets them excited to, to get after it. And so, I think when you can see that as part of, of your entrepreneurial journey, part of your business, a necessity for it, right? We make all these other things, priorities all the time, right? That, oh, like I got to, got to do it. Cause you know, I got to grow my business. Well, I would say you got to, you got to do it. You got to work out to grow your business. So if you can have that mental shift uh, it can, and ha- can help you tremendously. And that goes on multiple fronts from the nutrition side to the, to the water to make sure, you know, if you're, if you're supplementing, I mean, all of those different components, um, I focus on those things because it's all about optimizing my output and I'm 47. So the older, you know, I've gotten that just be, has become more and more critical. Otherwise you just don't have the same, you know, spark when I was 27.
1: Yeah. You and I are about the same age. So some of our experiences may be similar and I've thought about things sort of like what you just said. And I love how you create the mental shift that being physically fit is actually a component of being entrepreneurially fit. I'm changing the words a little bit, but the idea is the same. So in order to be successful in business, you become successful in fitness, you become successful in taking care of yourself and I'm wondering if there's something about our education system that discourages this. Let me develop this a little bit further because uh, I've given the, you're not the first person to inspire these thoughts in me. I remember when I was in school, and gym class felt like a combination of a punishment and a requirement. I remember uh, being yelled at and made fun of by my alleged gym teachers. Because I couldn't do as many push-ups as they wanted me to do. Or uh, they would uh, make me hold myself in uncomfortable positions like they were trying to teach me some lesson. And the message that they were giving is um, do this or you'll face disciplinary action. As in get in trouble for it. Okay. And I thought about this some more. And then I also remembered the times where I sat in gym class. And what I mean by sat in gym class, I mean sat in gym class. They had gone through all their checklists of the state mandate required things and they just didn't feel like doing anything. So they said, oh, go jog if you want or sit on the bleachers or do whatever you want. Okay, the common thread through all of these things and maybe it happened, but I missed it, but I'm pretty sure it didn't happen is I don't recall Anybody ever giving me a message like the one you've given our listeners, where doing this is actually an investment in being successful in whatever you have to do? I'm now being reminded of a gym class I was in where we actually didn't get to exercise because the gym teacher spent the entire period yelling, and I mean yelling about how we were lazy, how we were going to, how, how we were dis- disappointing and how we'd better get with it because there's going to be a gym class in college. And if you think this is something you just wait, you'll fail college. Actually, my experience in college was nothing like that, but okay. But I don't remember anything from that day that made me feel that taking this seriously was an investment in academic success. I was more interested in academics than athletics. I'm not an athlete. I never was. But I don't remember somebody coming to me saying that being that investing in athletics would make me more successful and more optimized in academics. I also remember being told, "Oh, you read too much. You got to try out for sports." <laughs> okay, that didn't that didn't inspire me because I never tried out for anything. What if somebody had said, you know, if you um, if you know, may- maybe you weren't designed to be a football player. Maybe you don't have the agility and the precision to be a basketball player. But did you know that if you maybe joined the track team or something, that that would create energy for you physically, that would make your brain work better. That would get you better grades and get you into a better college. What if somebody had told me that? What if so, what if they were telling our kids that today?
2: One hundred percent, and I can't agree with you more. I mean, I think that's that's why so many people really really struggle on that front. And I think um, I, I think the other thing too that does help you. I mean, for me, what really helped me too is I. I mean, when I was a sophomore in college, I had my my fat stage, and I and I was a college athlete, and it was something that. You know i still was at that stage and in fact it was to the point where if i didn't fix it
1: like well you were well you were a sophomore you still had your freshman 15.
2: yeah and then I then mean, some. come on <laughs> and, and and then some <laughs> and, yeah and so it was but it was you know it was it it um i had to have enough of a, a wake up to like man you know basically coach saying you're, you know you're not you're not gonna play or you're never gonna you know you might not even be on this team if you don't fix that right but, and then, you know, frankly, and later too, in later stages, as I got, you know, my old business got bigger and bigger, more complexity, all that stuff, gained some weight. And so I'm, I'm bringing it up because sometimes I think some people, if they haven't had the experience to kind of go from unhealthy, overweight to healthy and feel the difference, uh, it's really hard to... <laughs> It's really hard to explain so that's a big factor for me too is knowing the energy difference i can remember you know particularly in in college the inability to get up early and all that kind of stuff but once i dropped that it's like 30 40 pounds it was just like up, uh, you know and then again in my later in my life same thing like it was like once i got back to great you know great shape great fitness again it's like okay now i'm up at five and i love it right and yeah so i think that's something if. Um, if you have, have had that experience, it's man, that, that, that keeps you on track. If you haven't, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a difficult one where you, you almost have to have faith in somebody like me saying, it. it's like, man, if you can just get to that other side and taste it and taste, I don't, I don't think, I don't think people really realize how unhealthy they really are. I mean, again, because of the foods that we have out there, the process uh-huh. I and mean, all that, I mean, that, that just how, toxic their bodies are uh-huh. and i don't think they really some people just don't really understand like how much better their energy and vitality and life could be if they committed to it long enough to kind of get to that other side and they, you don't need to be perfect like there's you know um and but man when when they can experience that then they'll never go back i mean you, you might have some cycles but believe me you'll you'll want to get to the other side again eventually because you've you've at least tasted that Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I do kind of want to get back to the other side, which is why (laughs) I don't have, I don't have the the bandwidth right now to get into a full detailed rigorous fitness program, but I'm looking for things I can just incorporate into my routine. Like I've actually worked into my workday that I physically relocate my work position a few times a day. And just the kinetic energy of doing so has a significant impact on my mental acuity my ability to focus for longer periods of time and to achieve more output, simply mm-hmm. because i i i take I, I take a nice brisk walk around the complex. i i go to the park. i uh, and i uh, since i i have the laptop lifestyle, i have three or four different places that i work from, and i physically travel from one to the next. and i do this throughout the day. and people wonder, well, how do you put in those twelve hour days? like that's how i do it. I spend a couple hours here, a couple hours there. And the fact that I have to travel creates the breaks I need.
2: Yeah. And if you use, I mean, if, if you, you got to, again, use exercise, find a different meaning for it, right? Not that. Yeah. And um, shoot often for me, same thing now. It's, I use it as, as an energy boost too. So it's, you know, go work out at, at two instead of having that zero energy now, boom, I've picked up another couple hours that I'm going to do some things later on after, because my My energy level skyrockets right after I'm I'm moving.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this goes back to, you just gave me an inspiration here. And I've said this many times. I believe that for many of uh, a significant percentage of the workplace, particularly here in the United States today, we're still using an industrial revolution concept that does not apply. Now, if you're in a service industry or you're in uh, something like first responder, or if you're in manufacturing, agricultural labor, something like that, then shift work is necessary. You, you're you're going to have to be here from seven to three or whatever it is. You're going to have to put in these hours because your availability needs to be there. Um, but however, How many millions of people, and I think one of the silver linings of the bug is that uh, that with the, the whole work from home thing and the great resignation and everything else, there's been a lot of pushback on this finally. Millions of people in cubicle farms. Why? There are studies out there that show the people who work in cubicle farms, they're there for eight hours, but the actual amount of time they spend on anything that benefits the company is two hours and 54 minutes. The oh. re- the, yeah the rest of it is spent on pointless meetings, uh, breaks uh, cubicle drop-bys, uh, the need to go to the water cooler just because you have to physically move because you're getting atrophied mentally and physically by sitting there you uh, and then uh, and then there's also the whole your actual work only takes you three hours. Uh, and if you go above and beyond, you'll probably be punished for it. Yeah. True story. And so you drain yourself with, I'm actually done for the day, but it's only 1:30. Yeah, so going that? back, So going back to your point, and uh, I know you have something to hear. going back to your point. So, all right, so I'm done for the day at one What if I hit the gym for an hour or two came back at three?
2: Yeah, well, listen, it it it's goes back to kind of our original conversation. It's it's a lot of bad leadership, management, lack of systems, right? Because I, you know, I can tell you how I work with my teams. My all my teams, you know, my folks are remote, um, and I tell them repeatedly. You know, I could really, you know, I, I don't count hours. I yeah. count I count outcomes. I count results. Like, you know, we we have you know, we have goals, we have, we have quarterly plans, we have, you know, targets that we're hitting, you know, and so uh, if you have the right, again, system structure and the leadership and management, the soft side of it to to drive it, um, you know, then you don't have to have cubicles and feel like the only way you're going to get output from people if you lock them into a cubicle kind of thing. So it's just, to me, that's, um, that's just, yeah, it's bad. It's a bad way of thinking about it because- Again, if you do have the right system structure in place, good leadership, like things that are going to, you know, uh create still accountability for people and people understand they still got to create the outcomes, right? Cuz if, if you don't have if you don't have that in place, then you have nothing to measure against. And so, um that's really what it comes down to is really inadequate leadership and management so that doesn't allow people enough of the freedom. Yeah, I could care I could care less like when somebody's doing what? <laughs> Like, yeah <laughs> so you know there's certain availability where we got to get together on a meeting, but other than that, um, we're definitely uh, outcome based for sure.
1: right, right like and another example is customer service. So if you work in customer service, yeah, it is necessary to have sure. availability within a certain range because if you're if uh, you're there to cover eight hours of customer service availability or tech support availability within that range, When people call in, email in, chat in using the live chat or what have you, got to respond. But do you have to do that from a call center? So, what if you were on call to do uh, live chat customer support and uh, you need and you decide that you just don't want to sit there, or you're working from home and you want to go walk your dog or something? Well, you know, they have these, these things. And I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this, Pete. They're called smartphones. <laughs> and uh, they have these things. And this is another one. And uh, look this up if you haven't heard of it. They're called apps. Did you know that you can set up your tech support or your customer service so that if a live chat comes in, it can make their smartphone beep and a little window will pop up. And it says so-and-so is entering the chat. And you can support them from wherever you are. And this is one of the discoveries I think we made uh, as a result of the bug: is that you can have customer support, and they can do it from their homes, and they don't have to be sitting in their home office to do it. Going back to your point, you base you you rate based on output, based not on hours. As long as that phone call, as long as that email, as long as that live chat gets responded to in timely fashion. And they deliver good service. Does it matter from where? And I'm, I hope we're discovering and we're taking to heart that the fact that in some cases it doesn't.
2: Yeah, well, and I think that, I mean, you're right. I mean, the, you know, the COVID definitely, um, I think it helped clean out some corporate head trash, you know, in terms of, of um, I mean, you know, my wife, same thing. I mean, large health healthcare company she works for and, you know, they ain't returning. Like to, you know, they're, they're getting rid of all that massive real estate that, you know, houses all these, these folks. And, and I think, uh, you know, they basically realized like, Hey, you know what we, you know, we're actually hitting our targets and we're still making things happen. And, you know, maybe we, we don't need all this, this, uh, you know, normal corporate bureaucracy that we have. So I think that's, that's, if there's any, like any good things that have come out of it, I think that's definitely it for sure. And so, um,
1: yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, like I, I, I think of, for example, um, Dan Price, he's the founder of uh, Gravity Payments. He's that guy who uh, oh, created, yeah. he's that guy who reduced his own salary to seventy five thousand dollars and then yep. raised. I think it was actually most of his employees. I think there were some that just didn't make sense, but I think most of them raised their salaries to seventy five thousand dollars. And um, and they call him Oh, they call him a bleeding heart, a liberal, a leftist, a socialist. I call him a capitalist, and here's why. His retention rates, employee retention rates, are something that every company not only aspires to and struggles to reach, but in many cases can't even have wet dreams about. That's how good it is. When the bug hit and there was a lot less money to be made in credit card processing for a while, his employees – voluntarily took 50% pay cuts they came to him asking him to cut their pay
0: he's and pretty, then and then, they, and then they, a
1: they game worth playing yeah. and then yeah. they, and then and then they stayed with the company and after things came back and the revenues came back and in the moment that the financials of the company enabled him to he not only took their salaries back to where they were, he gave them back pay for their cuts. Yeah, I mean, this is that's ca- uh, that, okay. That's not socialism. That's capitalism. No,
2: not at all. I mean, it's yeah. he's, it's just you know another innovation, right? So, yeah. um, I mean, no, no, one hundred percent. I mean, he he's created a game worth playing. That's one of the things we talk about with our our um, clients all the time is creating that that ownership mentality from your your employees and creating that that game worth playing for them and getting them involved in the game. So you know you hear the term a lot, entrepreneurs and. So this is all part of what I mentioned earlier. It's winning winning the people game and we see it all the time in, in our industry where especially uh, you know everything is focused again on marketing and marketing and sales, marketing and sales. Yes, marketing is important, no doubt about it, but if you don't if you don't win the people game, especially if you again, like we said, there's different types of business models, but let's you know that's what we're talking about right now. Then um, we, I always I see it all the time. It's very short-sighted. They're they're investing all this market money in the marketing and sales side of things, but they're not focused on retaining and growing and develop their employees. And you know you have turnover again. Going back to my original story, then you have turnover, and the cost of that is enormous. And then not just the cost of replacing the individual, but the fact that you, from a leadership standpoint, now are pulled back into the trenches yourself. Right. So often having to replace some of those hours, if that's the case, and if not, you know, replacing it, you're still involved in the hiring and recruiting and the replacement process. And so you're not focused on growth. You're not focused on vision and strategy. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's that that was smart. If that's what worked for that business. Right. I mean, it's an innovation yep. to make make that business thrive so that you can win the people game, mm-hmm. and have an engaged and aligned culture like that. Amen. Great job.
1: Yeah, and and you know and and you know if you if you're ma- if you're making good money when you're at work, you're not worrying about your bills.
2: Oh, Yo, 100%. That yeah.
1: that that that's actually and I think he said this one of the foundations behind it is he didn't want people working for him worrying about how they were going to make their rent payments. He wanted them focused on growing his business. And the easiest way to do that was just to take away the pain of worrying about the rent.
2: Yeah. I mean, I just had this conversation with, with some clients and I think Zig, Zig, Zig Ziglar maybe said originally, but yeah. help them get what they want. So you get what you want. Right. I right. Mean, pretty, right. pretty simple, you know, thought process there. I mean, yeah, I, I luckily always kind of had that um, even from, you know, a young standpoint, just really pouring into, into my people to help them grow because I remember why I left. I, I say this all the time too. When I left, you know, I worked three years in a gym to start my own studio and I always tell people all the time I, if they would have gave me opportunity and they would have let, let me just keep climbing and growing and challenging me, I might have never started my own business.
1: Okay, right? you're, you're going where I was headed here. Uh, yeah. For two years, I was building my venture while um, still working for the company that I had worked for while I was in MBA school, and I got diagonally promoted. So for about a year or so, um, I was doing both. Basically, I was working at the job and I had my side hustle and I was going back and forth. Which way am I going to go with this? Ultimately, I, I could have been persuaded one way or the other. And one day I was. Um, something happened one day and I realized uh, really what a sad company that was and particularly um, what an obtuse moron my boss's boss was. And I'm thinking, if this, if this is what's left for me here, I don't want it. Now it still took me because I didn't know then what I what I know now uh, nine months to get the business to the point where I could live off it and make it go at it. Uh, boy, this is this, this is why I do what I do because I want to help people cut that cut that down. Um, from that moment on, I realized that I was going the entrepreneurial route. I just had to get there. So, as far as this company, I'm gonna show up from eight to four thirty. I'm gonna do everything that's on my job description, but, and check this out, I printed out my job description and kept it in my drawer. And anytime something came up that I had a question about, I whipped out that job description. I checked to see if it was on it. And I checked that job description to make sure I was doing all those things and doing them, uh, doing a good job, uh, you know, maximum efforts and uh, as far as what was needed to get it done and doing, and, uh, and doing quality work. But beyond that.
2: So so your leader screwed up because they had somebody they got more out of.
1: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Beyond. So, so, so here's the thing. We talk about the costs of retention and turnover. Well, even before that employee leaves, you probably lost about a year's worth of the salary you were paying them for that last year. They were watching the clock. Then you have the vacancy. Then you have the problems that come from getting other people to cover the work. Then you have the whole hiring process. Then you hope you hire the right person because you might go through two or three before you properly refill the position. Then you have the up the up ramping for the new person to get them to the point where they can be a net value contributor. Hundred percent. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know. You know. If uh, if uh, if I can if I can just double the, what I, what I pay customer service and avoid all that. I'm coming out way ahead.
2: Yeah, no, it's, I mean, well, the the process. So we've got for our clients, that empirepreneur ladder that I mentioned, which is the personal growth side of that. But the other, the the main uh, process we've taken their business through is, is what we call our stairway to freedom. And that's capital people, systems, growth, transformational Mm -hmm. growth, then scaling. And what we often find again, is people always talk marketing and everything. Yes. First, you got to handle capital, no doubt about it. Right. But what we typically find is people always that are pushing, we need more marketing. It, it's, it's, it wasn't that it was, it's the people in the systems phase, right? So that transformational growth, once they got that in place, they explode. Uh, then when we get into the, you know, into that, the transformational growth. Cause now we can add more fuel to the fire. Now we can add more marketing, but we also work on, you now you got to develop your leaders and then you have the freedom to pick your path in terms of scaling. So do you want a franchise license again, depending on your business model, etc. But, um, mm-hmm. point being is, is yes, you got to handle capital early. Of course, every business, you know, 80% of businesses failed due to the lack of the capital. So you got to get that piece. That's why it's our first step work with clients, but, um, mm-hmm. they often are just still focused on that. And, that's that's why they're stuck. Most people never get to those places that all the people that they, you know, admire get to is because of what we're talking about right now. This peep the people step is the next step. Again, depending on model, um, you know, depending on what you get, what your goals are. Um, as a matter of fact, even for me right now, I mean, I have cons- I put constraints around aspects of things. So yeah, you know, well, what can I automate first, right? What can I right. And so, you know, because I've done the, the the multiple locations, lots of people thing, and so, um, you know, I've I've decided at this point, like, uh, I, I'm we're still going to be systems, and and I'm still going to have people, but before we just start adding more and more, what can you, you know, what can you use technology for, for instance? What can you, especially with automations and things today? Exactly, yeah. exactly.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we're at the top of the hour here, and I, and I, and I, and I trust our listeners may have found something that moves them a little bit forward. I think there were a few mind shifts there. There were a few frame shifts. And there's something within that buffet of information that you and I put together that is going to benefit somebody. I know I learned a few things. So what I'd like to do now is invite all of our listeners. Visit Pete's website. It's www.empirepreneur.com. That's empirepreneur.com. And I want you to check that out. Whether or not, you're in the fitness industry, whether or not you're a personal trainer, whether or not you're looking for a franchise opportunity. There are There's so much there that will get you to the point where you can have a business that can work without you. So www.empirepreneur. And with that, Pete Peronio, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education.
2: <laughs> I appreciate it.